Good morning. <coughs> Welcome to our service this morning, whether you join us here in person or whether you join us online or online. <laughs> it's great to have you with us and it's great to see the only the remnants of the snow left and uh, we've had the chance to get out and come here this morning. Our opening Bible verses this morning remind us that we have hope in God and he will stand close to us in our troubles. In Lamentations chapter 3 it says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And a word from uh, one of these books that we don't often read. Uh, it's one of these probably that we, we pass over, and it's from Nahum. The Lord is good and a strong refuge when trouble comes. God is close to those who trust in him. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, went face to face with you, but bold went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our, our area of activity among you will be greatly expanded so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts Boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. 
thank you. <clears throat> so we um, continue this series, Strength um, in Weakness. Um, we've heard that, like it or not, try as we may, we can't not be in relationships. We're in relationships with other people um, all the time um, in many different levels, whether that's in the shop with your shop assistant, whether that's with a spouse, or whether that's uh, with another family member. We're in lots of different relationships at different levels at different times, but we can't not be in relationships with other people. We've heard that we need to be eyes up and ready to receive from God, that it's, it's no good having a focus all on ourselves all the time. Um, but we need to cast our eyes upwards so we can see who God is, what he has done for us, in order that we can see the bigger picture that he has for us in this place. Uh, we've seen that we're attractive to others um, by what it is that we do and what, what it is that we say. Um, and whenever we become attractive in our faith, other people ask questions. Whenever people ask questions, it gives us an opportunity to share who it is that we believe in. That we would be in an attractive community of believers in this place. Attractive to the community around us. You might ask questions. Why do you do what you do? What is it that you're about? And as a community, a diverse set of individuals uh, from loads of different places uh, with different skills and abilities. We all have different roles to play, but each of those roles dovetail together to create the bigger picture of what God has for this place. That through our weakness, through our moments of fragility, like a clay jar, clay jar, clay jar, that's the words I'm looking for, like a clay jar that is easily broken and smashed. Uh, but inside it is contained a treasure. Whenever it smashes and is broken, the treasure shines even brighter out of it. The scriptures have taught us that we are clay jars. The treasure within us is Jesus, and whenever in our brokenness and in our weakness, the treasure that is Jesus shines brighter to the world around us. Here that we are to be ambassadors for Jesus. People look at us. People see us. They ask questions of us, as we've already said. And last week we thought about generous giving. With our time, our devotion, our finances, um, and with our ability and skills. And today we think about spiritual warfare. That's covered, that's, we've looked at all of those things over the last number of weeks through Second Corinthians. That's covered quite a range of topics. We've looked at quite a range of uh, facets of our daily living of who we are in Christ. And today, we look at this area of spiritual warfare. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are present with us. But in our invitation for your Holy Spirit to be present with us, it's not a sign of our disbelief. It's a sign of our openness to what it is that you will do with us in this moment. So maybe your words are not mine that speaks truth into the depths of our being today. In your name, amen. amen. Spiritual warfare, what, what is it? Um, sometimes it's a term, it's not a term you're going to hear a lot in the world around us. It's not something that's going to be on our tongues and our conversations uh, with the people around us that we're in relationships with necessarily. But in the church, it's, it's very apparent. In the church, it is uh, very appropriate to have these conversations. It's necessary, actually, to have these conversations. It's necessary for us to be awakened to the fact that there is a battle that goes on around us, that we are not just temporal beings, that it's not just what we can see, feel, touch, taste, that is a part of who we are. But there's a part of us that is a spiritual being. And because of that, there is a battle that goes on around us 
that sometimes we are completely unaware is happening. So how can we become aware of it? What does it look like? We'll touch on some of that today as we walk through this. Spiritual warfare, as Christians, we need to be awakened to that fact that we're in a battle. It's not just an easy life being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus. What it is that we do and who it is that we proclaim is increasingly becoming a battlefront and a battleground. And I've said this before, but often people describe the church as a hospital, a place where, if you like, sick people can come and get well. I prefer to describe the church as a field hospital, a battlefield hospital, a place where we're in the battle and we re- if we get injured, broken, or we feel weak, we, we return to those around us, those who are in the same place as us, other believers of faith, we return to the church and we get well. And then we're back into the battlefield again. We don't get well simply to return to sit in our homes. We get well to fight the battle that is for Christ's name and for his glory uh, every day of our lives. See, first three says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. War is one of those things that we don't like to talk about. Whenever we see it on our TV screens or internet feeds or our newspapers, we bulk against it. It's not something that we hope or would gladly welcome another war to start this week in a different part of the world. It's always something that we're trying to stop. Many world leaders, that's, that's their goal, isn't it? World peace. In the First World War, as we recite in, uh, on Remembrance Sunday in November, every year we say they believe they went to war to fight for the war that would end all wars. But it hasn't. So war is still one of those things that causes injustice and suffering across the world. And we're at war. As Christians, we're at war with ourselves. It sounds like a weird thing to say. We're at war with ourselves because actually our human nature wants to do things that we know we shouldn't do. The scriptures call that sin. Anything that we think, say, or do that displeases God. Often we find ourselves in a place of struggle and we say, I know I shouldn't, but... Or we feel guilty whenever we find ourselves in that cycle of despair and sin once again when we've said we would stop it. So we know that we're in a battle. We're in a battle with ourselves, but we're also in a battle with the devil. That's what spiritual warfare is. He is seeking our very souls. He is seeking the very inner part of us so that he can own us and reclaim us, but he can't because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. The spirit that lives in us brings life and joy and hope as we've already declared through our liturgy earlier today. And so our battle is not against flesh. We cannot fight with the same tactics that we would if we were going to an earthly war. But so often we rely on our own strength. We rely on conversations. Sometimes we, sometimes we move to that period of manipulation where we try to manipulate that conversation, we try to manipulate that circumstance so that it goes to our way. We're bound up in guilt, which holds us back from stepping forward in freedom because we're trying to do things in our own strength. We're not 
releasing and relinquishing everything that we need to God. If we had faith as small as a mustard seed, we could move mountains, move mountains. And see, this whole series, this whole book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is teaching us that we get strength in our weakness. It's not in our own strength that we find it. It's actually in our weakness. And that's the paradox of the Christian faith, like so many others. If we want to get more, we give more away. If we want to receive, we give. If we want to be raised up, we buy ourselves down. If we want to be strong, we become weak. We recognize and realize our own frailties and our own weaknesses in order that we can receive strength from God to continue. So actually, whenever you feel ill-equipped for the battle, the spiritual battle around you, be assured you're probably in one of the best places that you could be. Because in that moment of feeling completely ill-equipped, you will lean into the presence, power, and victory of Jesus Christ. If you felt totally equipped, ready for battle, and that you can blaze out and do it all by yourself, then the Scriptures teach us that we're probably finding ourselves in the wrong place. Verse 4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's God who gives us the weapons. We can come up with all kinds of strategies for ourselves. We can set out a ten-point plan that will stop us from falling into the sin that has grievously carried us uh, all of our lives. We, we can, those are good things to do. None of that is bad. Don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing to do. But if it's the only thing that we do, then the scriptures teach us that we might not ever quite get there. We might never find ourselves at the other side of the battlefield, claiming the victory that Christ has for us. Because it's God's weapons that destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is that sense of who God is and what God has done for us. That, that sense where people are pushing against wanting to know God, desiring to know God, wanting to follow God. We take captive every thought in those moments. So there's the answer. To be victorious in spiritual warfare, simply take captive every thought that you don't want to have. Thanks very much. That's me finished for today. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? But in reality, we have probably all, at some extent, and some point of our lives, tried to do just that. And speaking personally, failed miserably at it. 
repeatedly trying to defeat that sin that has held me back over my life. The sin that I find myself returning to over and over again, even though I know I shouldn't. And whenever I find myself in that place, then the devil piles on the guilt to drag me down and take me away from God. Yet the scriptures come back and say, take those captives, take those thoughts captive, that you might be released from that place. And so that is the key, excellent. The key is as simple as that, to take those thoughts captive. But how do we do that? In a world that holds up um, lots of different world religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, secularism, mindfulness, yoga, whatever whatever it might be, the, the, the world holds up to us as a way to escape the thoughts that trap us. We know as believers, as Christians, the only way to do it is to focus on God. And the church, the Western church especially, the church that we are a part of, not necessarily this parish, but the church universal that we are a part of, has lost the sense of being contemplative. Many centuries ago, the church was much more contemplative than it is today. The world around us has robbed us of silence. Every new gadget and piece of technology is invented to give you what? More space, more time, more leisure, isn't it? That's what the automatic washing machine's for. That's what your phone's for. That's what the computer's for. That's what the printer's for. All these things have been invented that we might have more space, more time, more leisure. Do you feel as if you're getting it? No. Our culture and our world is robbing us of the place of silence and of contemplation. How do we cultivate that in our lives? Because it's in the moments of silence and contemplation that we can begin to take the thoughts captive. I don't know about you, but I often find whenever I sit down to do what we would traditionally call a quiet time, a space with God, everything else that needs done in the house suddenly comes to my mind. That squeaky door needs oiled. That hedge needs cut. That whatever it might be all needs done. Right now, right here. I could watch TV for hours and none of those thoughts ever come into my head. Whenever I try to take space and silence and be contemplative before God, the silence is filled with all of this other noise around me. Over the last few weeks and months, I've been trying to cultivate that sense of silence and contemplativeness um, in my life. It's been helpful because we had a new, we've got a new pup a number of months ago and she's up really early in the morning, so that's helpful. I'm trying to see it as a positive thing. Um, but one of the things, one of the things that I have found is this. That if I start trying to be silent for 15 minutes, it didn't work. 
And while it's hard to believe that I could be saying this was the case. So I took it back to the other extreme. And I decided I'd be silent for two minutes. But I found myself looking at my watch or, or lifting the phone or trying to see the time to see if the two minutes are up. So what I find myself doing now is setting a timer. Setting a timer for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. I'm building it up. But I know that that's going to go off whenever that period of silence is finished. So I don't need to distract or disturb my silence to look to see if my silence should be finished. Does that make sense? And it's beginning to work. I'm beginning to have a space in the day, at the beginning of the day, where I have nothing but silence and space. For nothing. But it turns in that it's not just for nothing. Because it turns out in those moments, they're the moments that I can connect with God in the richest and in the most blessed. Because I've created space for God without any distractions around me. Taking the chaos and the noise out of our lives is key to growing as a disciple of Jesus. Taking the chaos and the noise out of our lives is key to taking captive those thoughts that we don't want to have. Taking the chaos and the noise out of our lives and creating space for the Lord to work His work is key. Verse 7 says, You're looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority of the Lord, he of us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and speaking about to nothing. Paul's saying, look, sometimes whenever I send you a letter, I sound much more forthright, uh, I sound much more angry, uh, sometimes I'm calling to account more, but whenever I'm there, I'm kind of timid. But what he really means is that whenever he's there, he's showing the grace and the love of God. He's still calling people to account. But the key, as we see through all of this passage, is Paul finding space to be with God, to know what it is that God has for him. And as we sit in those moments of contemplation and of silence, we sit in those moments where actually the chaos and the noise around us is dispelled, where the spiritual warfare that is happening around us is paused for a moment so we can concentrate on God. One of the things that will rob us of that is comparing ourselves to others. So-and-so is really good at that. So-and-so knows their Bible so well that there's no way I could ever compete with that. So-and-so can pray. Have you ever heard them pray? It's absolutely amazing. So-and-so says they get up at 3.30 every morning so that they can spend six hours with God before they eat their cornflakes. I could never do that. 
We need to stop comparing ourselves to other people and start simply being with God. Yesterday we uh, were in the big smoke of Craig Avon um, and uh, we went into uh, Rushmere, lovely shopping centre, that is. Um, uh, and um, th- there was a moment, um, look, a massive pre-mark there, did you know that? Heaven. <laughs> for some people, not for me. Um, but I ex- fully expected that my teenager would want to go there. But actually she didn't. Didn't want to go in on her own because there's lots of other people there. Because all the people to see what it is I'm doing, what I'm looking at. And do you know what? If we're honest, we probably all find ourselves sometimes like that. That in our thoughts, we allow what we think other people are thinking about us to become the judgment upon ourselves that sometimes nobody else is actually thinking. That then in turn holds us back from stepping forward to the place that we actually want to be. I know I can be like that. But ultimately, as we hear from this passage, it is what God thinks of us that counts. Verse 17 says, Let him who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord compends. but the one who the Lord commends. Um, It's not about what other people think about us. It's not about us comparing ourselves to other people. It's ultimately taking the space to be with God, hearing from Him, taking captive those thoughts that will hold us back in order that we are aware that the battle is happening around us and for us. in a God who is ultimately victorious. So take those thoughts captive. Recognize the battle is happening around you and actually it's for you. There's a battle for your soul and for your heart happening in the spiritual realm. But don't compare yourself to others. Because as you spend time with God, I would encourage you to cultivate that moment of silence. You will gain strength even in your weakness. And that is where God's power is made perfect. And that is where we live out our faith. In the dirty trenches of war. In the humble, lowly place that we call life for ourselves. In the space that is maybe filled with mess, with noise, with chaos and with clamor. 
So that's where we live out our faith. So we wrestle. But it's also in those moments of weakness so we find the strength to continue. Not because of me, but despite me. Because of what he has done and because of who he is. Let's cultivate that in our lives this week in order that we can fight a good fight. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are present. And Lord, we thank you today for all that you have done for us. And in this moment, we pray, we seek, Lord, we, we commit to cultivate a space where you can be present, unhindered with us. So help us in these moments of weakness to know that we receive your strength. In your name. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. In the knowledge and the perfect faith that he gives to each one of us. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on each one of us this day and forevermore.